Welcome to the HR Matters podcast. HR Matters because people matter. The place where you can listen to fresh ideas about working together with news and topics that really matter and insights into the changes you can make in your organization today. For anyone who has a keen investment in the people in their organization. Featuring Marjolein Fluch. Hello. Myself, Lisa Dempsey. And today we're very excited to share with you an absolutely wonderful guest, Laura Khalil, who is the founder of two amazing initiatives, one Brave by Design and the other Force of Badassery. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, It's such a pleasure to be speaking with you ladies. And I think we're going to have such a fun discussion. You know, one of the things that we do um, with all of my initiatives, and they're, they're, they're sort of dovetailing a little bit at this point, but Brave by Design is really focused on helping ambitious women and allies live well and lead well. And taking charge of the things that we can control in our life, recognizing the things we can't control, and uh, moving forward with a lot of grace. So I'm excited to talk about that. Really nice. Yeah, I love that. That That's yeah. such a really relevant and important topic, especially for now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I started my career working in Silicon Valley, and I worked primarily in tech marketing. And one of the challenges I know that I faced quite a bit was as a young woman being told, well, Laura, you know, you're really great at your job, but could you just smile more? Mm. Or um, you're intimidating the men in the boardroom. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that one. (laughs) Yeah. And I was, and I, I have more of sort of a masculine energy to myself and so I was completely perplexed by it because I thought, well, I'm acting just like the guys. Why nobody tells them to smile more and soften their language? Why are you telling me? Yeah. So it, it was very frustrating for a number of years. And I uh, really felt like I couldn't get ahead. And uh, I know as we've been talking, one of the things that I notice is, well, if this pattern keeps repeating... I'm the only common denominator in the pattern, mm-hmm. right? I'm the only thing that's staying the same in spite of changing and going to different jobs and experiencing different people. The, the form still showed up. It just showed up in different forms. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was really in that moment when I realized the only thing I can do is change myself and I can only change my circumstances, my way of approaching people, my way of t- talking to people and who I surround myself with. And when I did that, and I did that in 2013, I said, well, obviously I'm not cut out for the full-time world. Me personally, not everyone has to make that decision, but I certainly was not. And I realized that when I started my own business as a marketing consultant, doing what I knew how to do really well, because I'd been doing it for years, I realized that all of the traits that had penalized me as an employee were actually my greatest assets as an entrepreneur and leader. I was just a leader, a leader wearing, uh, you know, an individual contributor's costume. And that just wasn't my place. And when I did that, everything shifted. And in that time, I also learned, well, how do I respond when someone says, hey, could you just, you look so pretty when you smile. Could you just smile more? (laughs) So, you know, I learned those skills as well. And that's part of what I teach today is really how to rewrite some of the narratives that we have found ourselves in and we keep 
you know, like a broken record, keep repeating over and over. Yeah. Keep on going back. It's sort of the definition of insanity, right? Trying to, (laughs) (laughs) same behaviors, expecting different outcomes each and every time. And really, yeah, no, you've got to shift the mindset, shift the behavior, shift your, some of the starting points. And also your understanding of how you articulate, you know, that you were, you know, you were a leader, you were just leading in the wrong space. It wasn't the space that was resonant for you at at that time. Yeah. I always like to joke with people that when I was an individual contributor, I was just doing a future job in a present role. And the reason why I wasn't appreciated is because they didn't want a leader out of me. That's not what they were expecting, right? That's not what they were expecting. So they're like, why is she so headstrong? Why doesn't she just write this thing we told her to do? And, you know, part of that's also about assuming, you know, when I think about what's my role in that, part of that's about me assuming my uh, rightful place as a leader, me rejecting the call to leadership because I was so scared. You know. so how does that fit in with, uh, with, with writing new narratives? What, what are those narratives like? What do you shift them to, for example? Well, as I said before, I think part of it is taking, acknowledging what is real that's happening outside of you. These things that are happening, especially to women, minorities, people of color, they're real. They're, yes. There are really people who talk this way. There are really people who... Um, uh, treat women and others with a incredible lack of respect. Microaggressions um, are very real. Very real. Very now, not okay. Yeah, yeah, not okay. And you know, the thing is, I can't control what those people are going to do. So in my case, rewriting the narrative said, instead of playing this role, Laura, over and over and over of the victim, why don't you become a master of your destiny instead of a victim of your history? Because I was in the victim role. Why are you doing this to me? Right? So when we rewrite narratives, the first question we ask ourselves is what is the role I'm playing in this? And do I want to keep, how is that serving me? Okay. So how is it serving me? Well, you know how it was serving me to be in those roles? Because you don't do things that don't serve you. It was serving me because I, at that point in my life, was too scared to do the thing and to take on the leadership roles that I did not feel worthy of. So I just kept finding myself in the same position over and over until the pain got so bad I always say when I I have a course on um, building the habit of courage, and one of the things, courage is a muscle. We just have to learn to exercise it, just pump it. Like, you know, you're lifting weights, you lift your courage muscle. When the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, you'll transform. That's where you change. And unfortunately for me in that scenario, the pain of staying the same was so great that it finally forced me to change. And it forced me to say, this is no longer resourceful for you. Maybe at some point in your life, maybe at some point in your narrative, it was helpful to stay small, to not make waves, to acquiesce to men, but you're not playing, you're not in that story anymore. And you need to move on to the next chapter. 
and this is your time. And when you move on to the next chapter, when you assume you're, what you are in control of and what you can be responsible for, then we begin to write a new story. Then the energy begins to shift in how we engage yes. and interact with people. And so that's just how we start. That obviously takes, you know, what I'm describing right now takes an incredible amount of self-reflection. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so <laughs> good questions and thinking and, and, and talking more. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you have to either have a guide to help you through that, mm-hmm. or you have to be, you know, the type of person who can take a good hard look at yourself and say, Hey, here's what I'm responsible for. And you know what? I'm still worthy anyway. I'm still yeah. a good person. Yeah. I'm not bad for recognizing my flaws, which I think a lot of people are afraid of. Oh, I'm a bad person then. No, you're just a human being. Right. And I think that that oftentimes is the thing that keeps people out of change. They feel like, oh, if I admit that there's something that I need to change, that also equates to me having been wrong. Right. As opposed to the very human thing of, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. This is not about being right or wrong. It's about growth. It feels good to not have the pressure on you either, right? Yeah. To always have to be right? Yeah. Wow. That's like a huge release. Oh, I don't always have to be right. And sometimes I'm going to be wrong. And that's okay. You just get to be human. Yeah. 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 Just have that compassion for yourself. One of my teachers always does this thing where, you know, when you're beating yourself up, she puts her hand on her heart and she says, it's okay. It's okay, little one. It's okay. Because we need to learn how to soothe ourselves in those moments um, when we are feeling like we're, we're, our own, you know, we're our own worst enemy. We're our own worst crit- critic. And what I would, I would say to everyone who's listening to this right now is this question. You're, you're where you are because in some ways you've co-created this experience for yourself. We all have. And so why don't we ask ourselves, instead of why am I here? What, why did this happen? How good can it get? Mm. That's a possible question to be asking. Then why me? Yeah. Why not you? Yep. Why is this the perfect place for you to be right now? Yeah. You know? how, how good can it get? Where do you want to go to? Yeah. How good can it get? And uh, that's when you begin to see shifts. And I, I say to anyone who's listening, who's in kind of like an information overload right now, who's like, whoa, this is not what I've heard before. <laughs> um, I would say, this is a process. This is mm. not, you know, what we are in a society that's so obsessed with, what are the six things I can do before 8 a.m. to have a really productive day? You know, 10 list. What are, what are the 10 things I can do today to change right. the world? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How can I be happy? And I'm saying that is not even the right question to be asking. So take your time. If this is not an immediate like, oh, finally, you know, in the next five minutes, I can solve my problems. This, this, this takes time, but be gentle with yourself and give yourself the permission to give yourself that space. And to feel that expansiveness um, of time and uh, of allowing yourself to explore. Just like, you know, one of the things I, I, I like to say, and I, this just, I just, it's top of mind because I put it out in my newsletter yesterday. But when we can play, when we can just have fun, 
it is a greatest sources of access to joy because play doesn't have a purpose. Play is just, I'm doing this because it's fun and it's silly and it's making me smile and laugh. And so if you- But I would say that is the purpose. Play actually (laughs) does serve a fantastic purpose because it's what gives our brains and our bodies space. Yes. Go, you know, and be silly. It's okay to be silly. It's okay to play board games. It's okay to, you know, however you find that- read a funny book, listen to something that makes you laugh. You know, in our house, one of the things we did is we got all dressed up a couple years ago and we went to the Renaissance Festival and we looked like nut jobs out there. (laughs) I mean, sorry, no offense to anyone who loves the Renaissance Festival. It's not really my thing, but I got into it and, you know, got the whole costume and when you're all there, all dressed like that, all dressed like that, you know, and we just had fun. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end of the day, you know, and I had a chicken leg as big as my head and, <laughs> you know, and just had fun and we laughed and we went home and we were joyful. And yeah. that's it. It makes a huge difference. It, and it really does. It, it, it shifts the energy and it opens up something different in your brain and body that's available to you. Yeah. So yeah. Play, play is important. It and does. Lisa, just to that point, and I know we're probably wildly off track right now from what we're, we're playing we're playing we're playing and it you know um it's a conversation that's what happens yeah it is a com- it's funny how things sort of move, shift around but um you may bring a really good point about being embodied and in this society we have so um exalted the mind that many times people are not even aware of their bodily intelligence. Yeah. Make me feel, yeah. you know? So I, yeah. uh, I love that. Yeah. Well, it is, I, I mention it just because I, I do a lot of, I bring a lot of neuroscience into my coaching and it is exactly because of the embodiment. You know, people think that the brain is this mushy organ that lives behind between their ears. It's not, it's attached, it's in your entire body. You know, there's this whole entire wisdom that's available to you through the use of your entire body. We're just not taught about it. So, you know, the, the courage muscles, there are also all sorts of other muscles and things in our bodies that we've not been trained to use. And once right. you do, you realize, oh my gosh, there's so much more available to me than what I thought. Totally. Absolutely. I'm really curious to hear, because um, we've, we've talked a little bit about, you know, biases, right? Microaggressions, biases. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in one of our pre-recording conversations, you had mentioned, you know, bias training. And there's some interesting information on it and sort of some of the problems with it. Mm-hmm. Because I think that is often kind of the go-to, especially if you're talking about gender and pay gap, parity, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, and that, I think right. you can you can step into a new story for yourself or or a new narrative, but you know you still get to deal with all the biases of people around you and all the microaggressions and all the the whole system of, of other people responding to you. Absolutely, and you know this is people don't like to hear what I'm going to say, which is that bias training is largely ineffective, and. I know no one likes to hear that because we're very invested in our rightly so in trying to create 
more equitable and diverse workplaces. And we have this model of training that we've been using for 50 years in some cases. And why do I say it doesn't work? Because I'm looking at the research. The research shows that the way we do implicit bias training in this world is largely ineffective and or ineffective and the reason why is it ineffective well first of all we don't see any of the numbers we don't see metrics changing okay right. we don't and that's how we know it's, metrics aren't changing women are still being wildly discriminated against women of color are being horrifically discriminated against we are not seeing the pay gap, gap uh, close we are not seeing the leadership gap close we can still look at the fortune 500 and it's kind of like watching a wave you know, sometimes it goes up, there's a few, and then we go down again. And then we go up with more women on the board, then we go down. And uh, so, so what do we do, right? Because we do want to still address this. And what I suggest, and one of the things I like to do is, yes, it's really important to understand what your biases are. Mm -hmm. But in that training, when we tell people, that bias is wrong. You shouldn't have that. Mm -hmm. It has a very funny effect that so sociologists have discovered of actually entrenching people in the bias we're trying to remove. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> they become right fighters. Yes. That's unproductive. Yeah. So it doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't really work. And so what I like to do, and one of the trainings I do is called courageous communication. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do is when we have someone come up to us, and I've shared some stories and says, um, you are really, can you not intimidate the men in the boardroom? Right? That's a microaggression very clearly. Or can I touch your hair? Or, you know, we don't hire women here. You're the first woman engineer we've hired, or it's a woman who goes into a, an, uh, a meeting, for example, and she's become the de facto coffee maker, lunch orderer, and note taker. Note taker. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Somehow everyone looks at, no one says anything. And then the woman finally speaks up and says, I guess I'll take the notes. Um, so what I am a proponent of doing is courageously communicating with people in the moment as the microaggression is occurring to help bring awareness to what's happening because people are not self-aware. Most people are not self-actualized. They have no idea what they're saying to bring awareness to what they're saying with empathy. Okay, so it's not an attack. Yeah. And it is a way to open up the conversation. Comes into me, comes up to me and says, hey, Laura, you know, do you know how, you, how intimidating you are? I'm not even, I'm not even gonna respond to that question. So that's the first point. You don't even respond to the question. Don't respond. I'm not interested in your question because uh -huh. your question is rooted in your biases, okay? Right. So I'm not answering that question, I'm not interested. Instead, what I'm going to do is I am going to ask you a question. And I'm going to ask you a question about what you just said. Mm -hmm. And I'm not gonna do it. So if you come to me and you say, why are you in so intimidating? I'm gonna look at them, I'm gonna say, I'm sorry, intimidating? I want you to notice that after I said that, I held the silence there for several seconds. And this is a technique I've learned from Chris Voss, who's a great, um, he has a book called Never Split the Difference on uh, hostage negotiation and how to negotiate. Mm -hmm. 
And I like some of his techniques for learning how to respond to microaggression. Because when we hold silence and we don't say anything, it makes people uncomfortable. And it makes them so uncomfortable that they will be forced to respond. And so by responding about with a question about what was just said, I forced them to elaborate. And by forcing them to elaborate, I allow them to become more self-reflective about the vomit coming out of their mouth um, and recognize and you continue this questioning process and continue to ask, why do you think that is? Yeah. Does that, do you think that's appropriate? You know, I had, and you do this and it helps bring self-awareness that people don't naturally have and it helps them exactly. behave differently. So unconscious bias training or implicit bias training, it's great for a day or two after the training. But if I want to actually create a workplace where I feel safe, I feel psychologically safe, I feel comfortable, I have to do that by actually speaking up. And that takes a lot of courage. It does. Yeah. And it requires you to not be, you know, um, hijacked by this thing that initially, you know, a microaggression, it feels, it's very small, but it feels like that very sharp thing in your side, right? You know, there's that immediate boom there's a pain of it and it requires you to not step into the pain, but instead observe the pain and then say, what do I want to do about that? Get curious. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting that that is, uh, I would say a muscle, maybe it's not a muscle, but it it does get easier with practice. It is. Well, it actually is a muscle. So the thing is, What typically happens when someone says something to you that's wildly offensive to you, Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. often have, they have no idea you're offended by it. No idea. And so what happens to us is what's called the amygdala hijack. The amygdala amygdala turns on, I get into fight or flight. I want to get the hell out of the room that I'm in. I, you know, and then we try to run away or we smile or we don't do anything. And then people think, oh, what I said was totally acceptable. Yeah, you're free. Because they never told me. So when you're in amygdala hijack, when you're in fight, flight, freeze, or freeze, Hmm. what I want you to do is practice this. Is pra- because you have to practice it when you're feeling the unsafe emotion. So what we do actually in the workshop, which is really fun, is we take the statements that everyone set- has heard, you know, and believe me, you guys know this, women have heard all kinds of nonsense. And we repeat them back, but in a really safe container so that you can remember what it feels like. And you can learn to re-engage that muscle instead of just freezing next time you can ask a question. Yeah, and you prepare really you what you were going to do. And then you do it. Yeah. 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 And, and what I love pretty- what I love about what you're saying is it's, you know, it's it it requires self-reflection on the person who who is feeling this, who is feeling, um, you know, I'm not gonna call it an amygdala hijack because actually there's some science that shows that it's not quite that. There's something more complex that's going on. But that aside, mm-hmm. self-reflection and then the invitation. So rather than you know, calling somebody out, you know, calling out sort of has that finger pointing, blaming, how dare you say that to me? It's calling them forth to also practice self-reflection Yeah, is, is kind of the bottom line of what I'm hearing. Isn't you. that beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful way to interact and engage and it can be very soft and gentle too. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things is when we're inquiring with people, we don't have to say, why the heck did you say that to me? You know, and get real angry. 
calmly responding to someone and asking a question and holding space for them to respond really is an invitation. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And the holding the space, such a, such a beautiful thing. So important. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I feel happy that, you know, this type of response can have more of an impact because you're actually inviting someone to self-reflect. There's more impact than just telling someone to stop doing what they're doing. Exactly. It makes a much bigger change in that individual when you invite. It really does. And it creates relationship. You know, it, it, it starts forming the basis for genuine relationship and much more meaningful exchange. I have a story about why they're saying that about me or saying that to me, right? Mm-hmm. I've created a narrative of why you're talking to me that way. Yeah. And they've created a narrative of why I am the way I am. Yeah. But none of that's necessarily true. True is let's have a conversation about what's really going on here and see where you're actually at. So I can sort of reframe some of my ways of thinking about you. Yeah. Thank you. This has been such a rich conversation. Thanks, Laura. My pleasure. It's been really fun. It has. Thank you so much for sharing this. And, and I, I, I love your ability to be able to share narrative and, and really put it into story and take these really very complex ideas and systems and all of the pieces and make it, you know, just, just very human, very understandable. Mm. What, what a beautiful gift you have. Oh, thanks, Lisa. Well, thanks so much for being with us. And and thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate you tuning in. You can listen to our podcast directly online. It's really easy to find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of the platforms. And do make sure that you do subscribe so that you can be the first to learn about the latest episodes and some of our great guests like Laura and some of the others that we have coming up. Uh, We'd also love it if you could give us a rating and review, and we'd love to hear your feedback and topic requests. You know, what's on your mind in the workplace and what's keeping you up at night? Let us know. That's it for now. Until next time. Thanks, everyone.